morning and welcome to Mendocino County Public Broadcasting Listener Supported Community Radio. Kadima Chi, good morning and welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corinne Pierce. Sintamana, Ana Pikabitam Day. I am your host, Keishi Corinne Pierce. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver. I am a traditional artist, healer, um, herbalist, dancer, cultural educator, and I have ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County Pomo tribes. I'm really honored that you're joining me this morning. This is our second show. Um, to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino and Lake and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to also be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community. Um, welcome to October, everybody. I'm so excited. This is one of my uh, favorite times of year for a few reasons. And uh, one of them is that my birthday is this month, and I like to celebrate the whole month with my birthday. Uh, another reason is that next month is Native American Heritage Month. So I spend a lot of time this month um, getting ready to share culture and history uh, with my entire county. Um, another reason to another big reason that October and this time of year is my favorite is it's harvest time and harvest time is a big, big deal to everyone, not just indigenous people, but to all of us. This is a time for us to harvest what we've been working on for so long all summer. Uh, the acorns are dropping. The manzanita berries are ripe. Uh, it's coming time to dig up roots and put our gardens to sleep. And for me, that also means um, taking stock of all the basket materials that I've harvested all year and getting ready to weave over the winter. I have a couple of really amazing guests with me today. Um, my first guest is Silver, and he is a good friend of mine. He's a basket weaver. And... Um, he will say he's not a teacher, but he will be lying about that because he uh, is he really is a master weaver. And I don't use that term lightly when I talk about um, Pomo weavers, but he is incredibly skilled and I'm so excited to talk to him um, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in a minute and I'm also going to let you know who my second guest is and her name is Bernadette Smith and she is an amazing young lady and I'm so happy that she could join me I um, remember her from being a very little girl she, she's much younger than me so um, but I have watched her grow up and I've seen um, the commitment that she has to bettering our community and I I have a weakness for acorns. I could talk about acorns for days and days. And I see that same thing in her. <laughs> and that makes me super happy. So I really wanted to um, bring those people here. And I also want to mention that if you had heard any promos for this month's upcoming show, I was supposed to have Eric Wilder, who's a local artist, and Lori Leowa Thomas, who's a local educator. And they both had some health issues come up. So I just want to send 
send them some good thoughts and keep them in our circle even though they aren't here um, in the present. So before I get started with silver, I actually want to follow up with something um, that I talked about on last month's show. So last month's show, I had Robert Gary, Mio Marufo, and Sherry Smith Ferry come and talk about the upcoming exhibit, the um, exhibit that was coming to the De Young Museum, actually opened at the Met this last week. And I had an amazing opportunity. Uh, I was invited to the reception of that. And it was the first in-person reception that they've done at the Met in New York for 18 months. So it was there was really a lot of excitement about that in the first place. But to be able to go to New York, um, it was really a whirlwind trip. <laughs> we got the we got the invitation at the end of the week. We booked our tickets. We flew there on Monday, went straight from the airport um, to the hotel, straight from the hotel to the Met. And um, we were really blessed to see that exhibit. And it was something amazing to share it with my daughter because those are our people. And she got to see baskets made by relatives of hers, you know, great, great, great aunties. And um, there aren't any recordings that exist, but I was able to witness um, the blessing dance. They brought um, Pomo dancers from Elam. They had four men and four women, and they did a blessing dance, and it was really amazing in the atrium of the Met. And so I just wanted to say that that was awesome, and that exhibit is coming to the D. Young in San Francisco, um, I believe in December. So I'm sure that I will talk about that again. Um, but that leads me to silver, <laughs> because me and silver have a love of... Um, baskets and basketry that is just amazing. So I am going to turn his mic on and turn that up so you can hear him. Silver, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, Yawi for being here. Sintamana. Good morning, everybody. My name is Silver Galetto. Um, I am Southern Pomo and Coast Miwok. I am enrolled on the Cloverdale Rancheria of Pomo Indians. I have been working for my tribe for the last 17 years and have served as vice chairman. I've also been in healthcare at Sonoma County Indian Health for the last 18 years, and I am currently the chief operations officer. However, as you mentioned, we do have a passion for basketry. So that is what I'm going to talk about. I'll set my alarm for 15 minutes to make sure that I don't go over because, as you said, we could talk for hours and hours and days and probably months about baskets. Well, I think we've been friends for about six years and we haven't stopped yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting when I looked at our info at our texts. I think we had thousands and thousands of basket pictures back and forth showing different little techniques, materials, stitches, and unique little characteristics that only a basket case or basket lover would know. So, um, yeah, let me start off and um, talk about the exhibit that I have been working on. It is called the Bobby Shaman Collection. It is at the Cloverdale Historical Society and Museum. We had initially began setting it up in February of 2020, but 
But as you know, in March, a lot of things started to shut down with COVID. So it's been over a year and a half that we've been setting up the exhibit. The exhibit is called To Reclaim More Than My Name, the Bobby Shaman Basket Collection. So the collection was named after my grandmother, Vera Jack Galetto, who was born 100 years ago in a field north of Hillsburg. She was forced to live in a world where being Indian was frowned upon. And she did the best that she can to hold on to what little fragments of our culture she had. One of those just being her name. So that's why I named the collection after her because after decades and decades of the government trying to strip us of our culture and our identity, I wanna focus on what little we clinged on to. So because they thought all of those things were heathenistic, you know, our songs, our dances, and our basketry, a lot of people stopped participating in them. And I think it's time for us in our age to do these things that our parents and our grandparents weren't able to do. You know, they couldn't hold their head high. They were ashamed to know of our traditions and they were embarrassed. And us and our kids are gonna be the opposite. We're gonna do what they couldn't do. We're gonna be proud, we're gonna hold our head high and we're gonna return all of our traditions. And the next generation is gonna know even more than we know. So that's what this revitalization is about. It's doing what's right. It's making our ancestors proud, making them know that we don't have to have that shame. Everything that they did, they did for us. And so we're going to hold our heads high because they couldn't. Oh, I, I always love to talk about that with you. Um, I really feel, and I've always felt my whole life that I was going to be a witness to a renaissance of culture. And I think that I really am seeing that. Um, I don't, a lot of people don't know, and I'm just going to speak in general as a basket weaver. I've been a basket weaver since I was nine. I'm 45 this month. So it's been kind of a long time of weaving. And I, I really always felt alone because I didn't have a mother, grandmother that were weavers. And there actually weren't that many. And when Elsie Allen was alive, and I know a lot of people that are listening remember her or knew her, we were kids. Me and Silver, we were both kids. So we kind of missed having a big group of weavers. And um, something else I want to bring up that Silver is amazing about is um, we've been really driven me and silver both together in our own paths to do basketry and then when we finally met and came together we we give each other a lot of support it's it's a really hard thing um to stand alone and do your culture and especially when basketry is so um integral to Pomo people like this is what we're known for we're known for being the best basket weavers and that's a lot of pressure um so and it's a lot of work i mean i wish you could understand so when you see a pomo basket you have to realize that every single thing that went into creating that basket had to be wild harvested and it had to be processed and then it had to be dried and it had to be cured for a year and then had to be reprocessed it and worked 
Um, it takes a lot of work and it's a lot of skill and it takes a lot of practice. The only way to master something is to practice it. And Silver's done that. He's done the hard work. We've both done a lot of hard work. And I really would love, Silver, for you to talk about um, how the Pomo Weaver Society came into being because at first it was just me and you texting back and forth looking for other people to that wanted to learn and I have to I just gonna hand it over to you because what the Pomo Weaver Society has been able to do in the last year during pandemic is outstanding so I would really love to hear from your side um, how the formation of that happened Are you there? Oh, thank you for bringing up, you know, those weavers from that last generation. I was researching it when I was doing this exhibit, and I had looked at when I started making baskets when I was a teen, and I noticed, you know, that they had said, oh, you know, go visit Elsie Allen, go visit, you know, this person, you know, but these were their last, I want to say months. And I didn't realize it until after I was looking up their dates that um, Elsie Allen, my Aunt Laura Summersall, and um, my Aunt Salome, they all passed with like in the same year of each other. So I don't know if I had just heard, you know, maybe our community and our family was just talking about how our great weavers were lost and how somebody needs to pick up that torch. I don't know if that just sunk into my brain because that's when I started doing this is when they all had passed. And I'm thankful, you know, that some of the younger weavers, you know, like Clint and Kathleen were able to teach me. And of course, my teacher, Jeannie Billy, were able to teach me. You know, I, I wish I would have started a year or two earlier because then I would have sat with the other generation of elders. But I am very fortunate to have worked with the next generation of weavers. Um, so I was named by Elsie Allen's daughter as Sedge. Um, I had been given an Indian name, but she kept calling me Sedge, Sedge, Sedge. That was my nickname because she couldn't pronounce my name. She said it was too funny. I have some family nicknames. And she's like, I'm just going to call you Sedge because all you do is you know, you're just obsessed with baskets. So I'm just going to call you Sedge because Sedge is the predominant material of Pomo weaving. And so that's how I get my new name, my name Chosinkle, instead of the big broad oak um, Indian name that I had. And so part of the exhibit talks about that, reclaiming your name, because my grandmother, you know, although she couldn't speak the language fluent, the one thing that she clung on to was her Indian name. She always remembered her Indian name, and that was Bobby Shamin. So I think that's why it's so important, you know, that we have our Indian names and that they fit us and that they're appropriate. Um, but one of the things that Elsie Allen's daughter told me was that she knew I was going to do great things. She said that Elsie Allen had been waiting for a kid to come along and do what I said I was going to do. But unfortunately, because of my career, because of my education, I didn't weave as much as I wanted to. And so I had a huge sense of guilt for years and years. And so I was like, I need to change that. I need to change that. I had a mission and I didn't do it. And so I used to get so 
frustrated and irritated and I used to tell you we need to reach out I need to reach out to each tribe I need to see who wants to weave I need to see who is weaving I need to have this gathering and we've talked about it for years and years and each time when the gathering would come up there'd be too much smoke there'd be evacuations there'd always be something so COVID <laughs> COVID people, got us last year <laughs> you know, COVID. and so we weren't able to meet and it was very sad because although I had you I was like there's got to be more out there there's got to be other people that are obsessed, that have this passion, that have this path of weaving. And I wanted to reach out to them. And so I know we have a lot of protocols in our Indian culture in terms of teaching. You know, they don't want us to put things on video. They want us to sit side by side and do it the old school way, you know, not speed up the process. You know, none of our materials are purchased. You know, you have to sit there and you have to learn how to gather. You have to be taught why you gather. You have to be taught all of the many traditional protocols that we have in place. And one of them is waiting over a year for your materials to care. And it, it you can't speed that up. And so when before COVID hit, I started the Pomo Weaver Society online and I felt like I may get some resentment. Some people may talk bad about that because it's a traditional thing and it shouldn't be online. But oddly enough, COVID hit a few months later and it was actually the perfect opportunity because you had an audience that was there. You know, we had the shelter in place. People couldn't go anywhere. And this was a platform for me to be able to share about the material of the month, the basket of the day where I would explain, you know, when harvesting is, what you do with materials, how you cure them, how you prepare them, how you could do all different designs. And I really wanted to share and educate as much as I knew with everybody else because Karina and I had to do research. You know, we weren't, this wasn't handed to us. And so that's why I thought it was so important to hand that off to somebody make it easier for the next generation because it was difficult because we didn't have as many resources so i want to make sure that the next generation starts with the running start they have all of the research all of the practice all of the knowledge that i have so that they can take it to the next level oh. so they won't have to sit there and go to the museums in the dc so that they don't have to go to these libraries and scan all of these things i wanted to be able to not have the barriers in place that I had. And so we started the Pomo Weaver Society and it was very big at first, you know, it was 250 people. And I was really worried about getting a lot of slack. And so even though the group was always closed, it wasn't open to the public, I lowered it down to 50 people because I wanted to make sure it was the people that were either serious about weaving or that had connections to our basket sites or were in positions where they knew about um, protecting our sites. And so that's what the group has come to be now. Um, I got worried a little bit. I got my timer on so that I won't talk over 15 minutes. So I got worried that everybody would get sick and tired of hearing me. So I started having other people teach. And it has been a wonderful experience because Every month we have one of our weavers within our group teach a different challenge. Each month we have a different challenge with a different material and they'll go on there, they'll have a tutorial, a series of videos teaching you how to make a different challenge. And at the end of the month, we share everybody's baskets and then we have a raffle. 
kind of like an incentive to have people um, be excited about it. You know, I, I, I don't want to say that you have to always dangle a carrot, but it just makes it fun. At the end of the month, we all get to showcase our creations and we get to share what we did. And what's so nice about it is everybody's creations are so unique. Even though everybody has a display or a model of what it's supposed to look like, everybody has a unique interpretation in their own character to their baskets. And I think that's what I love because homo baskets are just like us, unique, individual, and just the best. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I agree 100%. <laughs> I just want to say something. I say this a lot in private to people, but it is such an amazing feat. Um, when I think... so. Pomo basketry really died out there for a little bit. We There were only a few weavers weaving a few baskets. And I have to say that um, over the last couple of years when me and Silver have really, really, like I quit my real job to focus on teaching basketry to make sure it didn't die in our lifetime. And I'm not the only one that did that. There's more of us now. And I have to say that... Um, with the concentrated work that we have been doing with bringing in weavers and teaching weaving, that there have been more pomo baskets made by more weavers in the last two years than there have in the last 40 years. That is an amazing feat. That is like a record that everyone should know and everyone should be proud of. And I just want everybody to know about you because I think you're amazing. And you do so much like this guy works 20 hour days and I don't know how he still has time to weave. Um, and I also want to say something, um, cause this month's show was actually supposed to have spooky stories in it. And I don't tell spooky stories because I'm a chicken and I will be home scared later tonight if I tell scary stories, but I do want to share, um, a little bit about Pomo culture with you. And it has to do with the name that Silver was just talking about. So um, we come into the world and we're given a name. And our name, we also get nicknames. And um, we call them Bidashi, which means river names. And um, your river constantly keeps flowing. So usually the name you have as a child isn't the name that you have as a teenager, isn't the name you have as an adult, isn't the name you end up with. Um, when you're an elder. So um, I know a lot of people talk about name changing, like dead names, and it's not a new concept for us. <laughs> so river names is, is a concept that I want to share with everybody because I think sometimes um, we can let go of our old names. And this is a really good season for doing that. And I'm so glad that you use your new name, Silver. That makes me really happy. Thank you so much for coming. Don't go anywhere because people might have questions for you. <laughs> okay, so my next guest is a Bernadette Smith, and I'm actually going to um, share a blessing with you. She sent me two sound bites this morning that were just outstanding. She's doing amazing work with technology that I could never even do. But before we do that, before she talks about herself and the work she's doing, I'm going to share um, this with you. Make sure it's turned up. And it is in Pomo. I assume that it's Kashaya Pomo, but I'm not certain. Um, but I'm going to play that for you now. Hey yo, hey, hey yo, hey 
Ooh, that was good. <laughs> Bernadette, how are you? Oh, can I hear you? Okay, I can hear you now. <laughs> okay, happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so tell tell us a little bit about that recording. So I know that was you and some other girls, and there was Clarence, and who else was in there? <laughs> yes. So um, that the first off, I want to say Silver, that was um, very beautiful, and thank you for sharing. I really enjoyed your words and what you had to share with us, and uh, we definitely appreciate you. You know, the Pomo community out here and the work that you you're doing and making us proud, making us really proud. Um, so yeah, that recording was uh, started with my little cousins. So that's Shirley Carrillo and Delphine Carrillo. Those are Clarence's daughters. Um, I believe one at that time was seven years old who was singing, and the other one was eleven. So they started out the prayer song, and then uh, you can hear me come in, and another uh, beautiful young lady by the name of Esme Olivia. And uh, she helped me. It was the first time we tried to harmonize a Pomo song like that. So she she was uh, really good at that. So it, it sounded extra beautiful. And of course, we had Clarence Carrillo, which is my favorite relative. And um, he did his prayer in Pomo, which was a beautiful, beautiful uh, experience to, to record that and have that for our people. And it is Kashaya, yeah? Yes, Kashaya. Yeah. Um, so I've mentioned before, um, there are lots of languages, lots of dialects for Pomo, and Kashaya is one from over in over on the coast in their area. So um, I asked you here today because it is acorn time, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I'm moving to Willits this month, and man, I cannot keep my eyes on the road because... All the trees, all the black oak trees are just dropping tons of acorns this year. And I was a little worried um, because it didn't seem like they were going to be a lot of acorns. And I know there haven't been a lot of tan oak acorns that I've been looking for, but I have a lot of black oak acorns. And I would love, I know you talk about acorns as passionately as I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love for you to talk about how you came to that. I know it really changed, impacted your life a lot uh, when acorns came to you. Yes, definitely. So I'm from Kashaya in Point Arena, 
my grandmother's from Kashaya and my grandfather's from Manchester Point Arena. Um, so that's predominantly where the tan oak trees grow. Um, I myself am fairly new to acorn gathering and, and the whole acorn process, only about seven years in now, I'd say. But I'm fairly new, and I, you know, I wish that number was bigger, but it, it will be eventually. Um, so I kind of just came about it in its own um, own special way. I kind of was reading about some deforestation and things like that that was happening in my um, area in Point Arena about a hack and squirt, this method of filling that forestry companies were using to get rid of trees. And so they were using this method on the tan oak tree, mainly because they said it was growing as a, a weed kind of like invasively and taking over valuable and um, I mean, financially valuable space that redwood trees would normally grow in. So they're using that as a way to um, legalize their farming practices of killing the tree. Then I learned alongside of that was sudden oak death that was happening throughout California. And as many of you guys know, living in Mendocino County, you probably see a lot of the trees that are dying around the, the oak trees. And if you might see a discoloration, they turn a coral pink, the leaves, you'll see that happening a lot. That is a uh, sudden oak death has uh, taken over that tree. So we had both the forestry companies coming in, you know, um, killing the trees, poisoning them. And then we have sudden oak death coming in on the other side, which is just rampant. And because the tan oak trees split bark, it is more susceptible to sudden oak death. So it has a way more, maybe 10 times higher rate of um, contracting the disease as opposed to any other oak tree, such as black oak, live oak, valley oak, things like that. So it was uh, told to me by some professors from UC Berkeley who are studying the disease that within my lifetime, indefinitely by the generations following me, the tan oak tree will be extinct. So kind of what that meant for me, it kind of woke something up inside of me that kind of said, okay, what can we do as a native people um, to kind of to battle that or, or kind of um, stop that if we could. So that's kind of how I ended up learning more about the acorn and, and started gathering it. And I kind of, something came upon me that maybe felt like we should start using it more that maybe if our people started um, using it and gathering it and appreciating it again that, you know, of course, Creator is going to bless us. And especially if we believe that, you know, and pray for those things in our ceremonies and, and kind of remember to honor the acorn like we used to, um, that maybe the Creator can put his um, magic down, you know, and, and kind of help us stop that or give us the answers that we're looking for on, on how to battle the things like the forestry companies and, and sudden oak death. So I started working closely in that way. And um, yeah, it's just been continuing ever since. Very cool. So I love that you just mentioned that. And I'm, I'm trying to share a little bit of um, Pomo culture with everybody. Um, and I, I really, I love that you bring the language and I love that you bring the songs. And I, Alicia, who's <laughs> sitting here with me, had said something when she asked me to do this radio show about um, how the language would be going over the airwaves and it and this is my traditional area like this is our our land so it makes me feel really happy because I feel like the ancestors wake up when they hear that stuff so um I feel really blessed in that and I really feel blessed to share this story right now um so this is about 
oaks and acorns, and they are the staple for us. They are the staple for many, many California natives. Uh, we sing songs for them. We dance for them. We feed them. Uh, we give them family names like they're related to us. And just like Bernadette said, they give back. <laughs> you know, we uh, we pray that the Creator sends us signs and gives us strength. But there is a traditional Pomo myth from this valley, from the Ukiah Valley and Redwood Valley somewhat. So um, I wish I could give you a time, but there is no timing for nature. Uh, the oak leaves fall when they fall. The acorns fall when they fall. But if you are close to nature and you are out with the oak trees on the right day, you can hear them talking. And if you hear them talking, they will answer any question that is in your heart. Um, there's actually very famous paintings about um, Pomo people standing in oak <laughs> savannas on windy days uh, waiting for the trees to talk. So now is the right time. So I'm just going to tell you guys all to go out and hang out with the trees and see what they have to say to you. I'm sure that they have a lot to say. Um, they are dropping a lot for us. And I want to talk about acorns a little bit more, um, that they really are uh, the perfect nutrition. They are the perfect amount of protein. They are the perfect amount of fat. Uh, they're really a lot like mother's milk. When you ingest them, they make you smart. They make you strong. They are local, and they need your help. So uh, Bernadette talked about them getting sick. We have the sudden um, oak death that is happening. Uh, we also have people being very scared of fire and cutting down um, healthy oak trees. I've seen a lot of that in Redwood Valley, especially um, since we had the fire in 2017. I see a lot of trees, old trees going down that survived the fire, but that scare people. And another reason that the trees need our help is they need alkaline soil to be healthy. And our lifestyles, our entire planet, is getting more acidic every day. The water is more acidic. The air is more acidic. Um, the soil is more acidic. So how can you help the oak trees in your area? One of the best things that you can do for an oak tree is to give it gifts. And that sounds silly, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is absolutely not silly. These these trees have evolved with us. Our people have been here for thousands of years. Uh, when we were talking to the Alem people last week, they mentioned that we have one of the oldest sites. They found remains that date from 16 to 30,000. So we've been here a long time. And you know what we've been doing? Processing acorns. So the acorns have evolved with us, and we've evolved right along with them. And there is a word, a fancy archaeological word called midden, which just means a pile of old junk. But old people, like old culture junk. So bits of leather, bits of bone, pieces of hair, ashes, stuff like that. So those piles of midden, they found piles of midden at old growth oak trees. 
And they're wondering, what are these? You know, why are they doing this? But those are gifts. Those were gifts to the tree. And um, through some kind of communication, who knows how we talk to trees, um, we knew that giving those particular gifts helps make the soil alkaline. So ash helps make the soil alkaline, hair, um, bone pieces, leather scraps, all of that stuff changes the soil. And trees are healthier in alkaline soil, they bear more fruit, and they're more resistant to disease. So one of the very best things that you can do um, in your area, you know, um, is gift to the trees. And also, I will say that we are in a seven-year drought. Europeans are new to California. <laughs> they really haven't been here for more than 200 years. And I grew up hearing myths and stories about droughts that lasted hundreds of years. So be prepared for that, but also gift those plants water. You don't have to go out, you don't have to hook your hose up and give them gallons and gallons of water. If there are any trees in California that can know what to do with a liter of water or less, it's a California oak. Um, it is a California native plant. So you can, you can see it now. I can see it now out in the wild that the trees are hurting. They really are needing water. So give them water, give them presents. Those are all amazing gifts to give. Okay, now I'm done talking about oaks, but I still want to talk to Bernadette because I know she has some really, really cool stuff that she's working on. And I would love to hear about the dance that you're doing. And I also have the sound clip ready um, after you tell us what that is. Okay, yeah. So I'm happy to share about that. Um, one of the efforts that I was working on in, in order to raise awareness about what was happening in my particular area, Mendocino County, was to create a contemporary indigenous dance piece. I worked with a very amazing woman by the name of Rulon. She has a dance company in New Mexico that is called Dancing Earth. Um, where she brings indigenous dancers from all over the United States, predominantly there in New Mexico, but they come from everywhere. And uh, we created a dance piece um, to kind of tell the story uh, about what we, we, an idea of what we thought maybe the creation story was about how we um, developed that relationship with the acorn and how we knew how to process it. So we kind of took pieces from uh, stories that we hear, like our process of uh, our people are dreamers. So that's kind of where our religion comes in. The Bali Maru is the religion of the dreamer. That's how we have our dances and songs and prayers are all given through dreams from the creator. So we kind of incorporated that into our dance as a way of how the acorn came into our lives, how we knew how to process it. Because a lot of people ask that. How did you guys figure that out? You know, how did you guys figure how to get the tannins out and, and all, the, you know, it's an amazing thing to some people. People still believe that the acorn is poisonous, you know, yeah. a lot of people believe that. And um, so we kind of thought about it and tried to create our own, our own narrative about what that could, that could have looked. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to play that. First, I'm going to say, thank you for listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on community supported KZYX. Um, we are about to listen to um, a song that Bernadette sent oh, me this morning. My little that cousin Shirley. 
Okay, that is involved uh, with this play. And is there a name for the play that you did? Um, yes, it's called um, Spirits Within a Dreamer's Reality. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm going to turn this on for everybody so that they can hear it. Okay. To the next generation. Yeah, we. This is how I honor Creator for the blessing of the acorn. Awesome. Um, <laughs> if you could see me now, you would 
be able to see that I am crying. That was so I beautiful. Cried. Oh my gosh. I cry every time I hear it. I've heard it so many times. That is really outstanding. You guys are just amazing. Um, Thank you. Now I'm all full I'm of really feelings. I'm really moved that you cried. I like crying because you're crying. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you felt that. You know, I don't know if it's just me, you know, because I. Yeah. And, and I love. I, I love that I know the language. I mean, love that I know the words. I know what you're saying, yeah. and that's that's yeah. a big thing. And man, you guys are such good ancestors. <laughs> I'm so so proud of you. Um, so we actually have a little bit of time. So I wanted to um take some phone calls, which I'm just learning how to do. So if there is anybody that is listening this morning that has questions for Silver um, about basketry or about um, his exhibit at the Cloverdale Museum, you can call now if you have a question about acorns or anything that Bernadette is doing. Um, that would be great. So if while we're waiting for that to happen, in case nobody's awake yet, um, I would love to jump back to Silver real quick. And, oh, sorry. If you do want to call, the number to call is 707-895-2448. Um, Silver, I would love for you to talk about where the baskets came from that are in that exhibit in Cloverdale. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? I can. So some of the baskets were gifts. Some of the baskets were made by Pomo Weaver Society. I have one of you in there. I have one from Melody. I have one from Martina. And then a couple more contemporary ones. 20 of them um, were made by me. And then some of them I had been gifted from other tribes. I had some gifted from the Pit River tribe, some from the Yurok tribe, and then the others I have been acquiring myself. So um, when we traveled a lot, we'd stop off at trading posts. There was one down in um, by Yosemite. I found a few pomo baskets that had made their way down there and had brought them home. Um, there was also a trading post out by Reno and then another trading post over in Folsom where I had gotten another basket. So, um, and then of course, online auctions also been able to acquire some of those there. My goal is to bring our baskets home, whatever means necessary. Um, you know, often our baskets were sold can you okay. hear me, Karina? I can hear you. Face? I can hear you. I'm try I know this is the weirdest part. I'm trying to get a phone call. This is the part I have trouble with in case oh, okay. anyone I'm is out there can't that cares. I, like, <laughs> I have a trouble with getting the phone call, but we have a caller. So okay. um I wanted to see Hi. Hi. Who who is this today? Here you are, yay, I got you. <laughs> I caught you. <laughs> Congratulations. So uh, are, are Pomo baskets available for sale anywhere? Uh, that is a great question, and I actually was going to just talk to Silver about that. Um, so there was a basket rush in the late 1800s where tons and tons of Pomo baskets were being made, and those were collected. And then there were not a lot of weavers for a long, long time. You can get baskets in two ways. You can 
usually purchased them from collectors. It seems like the people that were collecting um, are starting to pass away now. You know, they're in the 80s, 90s year age. So you can get them that way. You can find them on eBay. Um, you can contact a living weaver. We usually, we don't, because it takes so much time to do a basket, we usually don't have them just hanging out on our shelf. Like we don't go to um, craft fairs and sell them. We just don't have enough. So usually getting a pomo basket requires commissioning one or finding what we call a heritage basket and purchasing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Thank you for Very calling. Well, thank- yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Silver. So he just brought something up about buying baskets, and I was going to ask you to talk about how you use the term bringing baskets home and what that means to you. Right. So um, like you said, a lot of our baskets are not in Pomo country. Um, It's my goal to bring them back home, whether it's getting them on loan like some of the other exhibits currently are, Um, A lot of our people don't have the means to travel, you know, to D.C. or to Pennsylvania. So I want to work either um, with a lot of these museums and have these rotating collections so that people can see them. You know, oftentimes these baskets are just sitting in storage bins or in the back room, not even on display. I mean, I think, you know, these weavers would have wanted you know, their descendants to see these baskets. One of the things about the collection that I have is if there is a Pomo weaver that wants to look at the basket, I will take the display case um, lids off and have anybody touch them, hold them, feel them. You know, I think it's important that they're living items and that they are used for um, all of their intended purposes. You know, I know I've held many baskets just like you, looking at them, looking at the rim, touching them, holding up to the light, trying to see how the stitch went, how to try to reproduce, recreate them. Um, And they want to be touched. You know, when you touch a basket, you could just feel so much about them. And that's my intent is that to have them be enjoyed, have them be appreciated, respected and touched. You know, the last thing you want to do with the basket is put it in a vault, put it in some dark, creepy place um, and hold it like an investment. These baskets are meant to be shared. These baskets are meant to be seen. They're beautiful and they should be enjoyed for all of their glory. Absolutely. And uh, we don't have another caller, so I'm going to share another story. And this one's about um, baskets, about Pomo baskets. Um, So I've been to lots of storage places to see a lot of baskets. And I just, I want to mention how to store baskets. If you are lucky enough to have Pomo baskets or any California baskets in your life, um, there are a few things that you should do. Bugs love to eat them. So you want to protect them from bugs. And the easiest way to protect a basket from bugs is to put pepperwood leaves into the basket. So bay leaves, pepperwood leaves, keep the bugs away. Wormwood leaves also work. Uh, You want to make sure that they're clean. So you can wash them with water. Baskets are usually like that and really gentle soap or soap root works really well. Um, 
a lot of the baskets that I've seen in old collections, especially from universities that were collecting around the turn of the century, um, they can't be touched anymore because they were actually coated with um, cyanide or arsenic to keep the bugs away. And that soaks into the basket, so you can't ever touch those again. So just keep it natural. Um, and something really cool I want to talk about about Pomo basketry is called the Dow. And I grew up hearing about the Tao my whole life. And it gives me feelings. It makes me cry because um, I love baskets. And I think we got a phone call. Yay! Okay, I got this. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to answer our phone call. Oh, they hung up. I'm lying to you now. Anyway, back to the Tao. So, Pomo baskets are perfect. They are technical marvels. And there needs to be a mistake in that basket. Oh, we really have a caller this time. All righty. Let's try this again. Hello, caller. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you today? Oh, good, thanks. Uh, what is your question for, for me or one of the callers? Well, I, I just wanted a repeat of the gift for the oak trees. I stepped away from the radio. Oh, okay. So um, there are lots of things that you can gift to a tree. So you can gift ash. They love ash. It's very, very good for them. Um, you can gift uh, bits of shell, bits of leather, bits of bone. You can, I know a lot of, um, I don't want to say hippies, but I'm going to say a lot of hippies will say to like pull out some of your hair and gift it to the tree. That's also appropriate. Fingernail clippings are also appropriate. Um, anything that's going to make the soil shells. I used to have chickens, and I would steal some of their oyster shells um, and keep those in a little bag to give. Um, I also make little baskets to gift to the baskets that provide sticks for me to make baskets with. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can give, but basically... Think about what ancestor trash would have been <laughs> and and give it to that tree and also water. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for calling. Is that another call? Yep. All right. Hello, caller. Do you have a question? I do. What is your question? Thank you for calling, first of all. <laughs> Thank you for the program. I see some pomo baskets are beautiful, and they're made from pheasant and quail feathers. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm wondering how the feathers are collected, and how can we be sure the birds and animals weren't harmed? Well, they're dead, so they were harmed. I'm just going to be honest. Um, the reality is the the feathered baskets that you see that have pheasant on them are really recent. Uh, we only started using feather pheasants on basketry after laws were made that made it illegal for us to harvest and hunt the traditional birds that we would use for basketry, which would have been quails and meadowlark um, and mallards. And those would have been hunted for food. So um, we aren't... We aren't stripping, like you can strip a duck of down and have it live again, even though it's in a lot of pain. Um, we don't yes, do that. We, we kill the quails and we eat them. 
Um, and we don't do that as often now because even just 50 years ago, there were so many more birds than there are now. We've lost 90% of our wetlands in California in the last 50 years. Um, so we, we tend to use feathers very sparingly. And if we use them now, um, we do use pheasants. And you can just buy those from people that raise pheasants. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Thank you for that answer. I, I just wish that we did no harm. And, and baskets can be made without harming animals. They can, Thank but you. there's so there were you have to really think about how it was 50 years ago yes. or 60 years ago, I'm and thinking the, and the also more recent baskets. Yeah, the recent ones would only have pheasant. Yeah. Oh. All right. Thank you for calling. Thank right. you. All we right. only have Bye. we only have one minute left, um, so we don't really have time for one more call. Um, but I do have time to say thank you for Silver and Bernadette for being here. Um, thank you so much for sharing what you do and sharing your passion. Thank you for being local treasures and for being good ancestors. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.